This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives, their careers, and of course, those difficult moments along the way. I say of course because we all have those difficult moments, don't we? This one isn't difficult or awkward. <laughs> I'm Giles Perry Phillips. <laughs> You've saved the best intro for the last pod of the year. That's, uh, uh, that's superb. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you why. I was um, losing track there. It was because I was trying to do what a lot of men shouldn't do, which is two things at once. (laughs) I was trying to scroll to find um, the message that we're going to read out later from a a tweeter. Yeah. Which I lost because I had it prepared. Uh, (laughs) And then I was thinking, oh, shit, we're going to be recording. Because we do these kind of live these read mm-hmm. these read-ons and then uh, yeah and then i lost it i found it again now well it's listen this pod's all about you know having those difficult moments and sort of being honest about mm-hmm. them and there you were very low level yeah blank moment let's be honest but even so you know just a little peek behind the curtain for our listeners as to uh how shambolic we can be sometimes. <laughs> yeah. but we own it you know we own it on this podcast that's what that's all about um but yes giles it's, it, i should say i'm probably Jim Daly. I'm not probably Jim Daly. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't even Daly, introduce you. I, I introduced myself um, <laughs> and then very rudely kind of... Yeah, no, so this is Jim Daly. I don't know if anyone you knows. You set it up for me and I, um, I, 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 I missed the tapping for my yard out. Yeah, so, sorry. Um, yeah. But it is the last part of the year and um, it's, been a, it's been a great year. We've had some great guests. We've got another fantastic guest today. A very special one linked mm. to a very special um, organisation that we'll talk about in a minute. But, but first of all, I guess just... I guess... Happy Christmas, because obviously this will be our end of year pod. And also, yes. you know, what a year it's been. We've been very lucky, haven't we? 2021. We've been very lucky. I think it's been a difficult, challenging year again, hasn't it? We Obviously, we had 2020, which was difficult yeah. and challenging. And then 2021's had its challenges as well. But yes, we've, as a podcast, we've been extremely lucky. We've had some amazing guests along the way. I mean, it just feels, just feels so lucky. Yeah. No, you're right. It's been a good antidote to a mm. frustrating uh year two years almost and actually uh <laughs> who knows having listened to the press conference yesterday uh where we'll be in a few weeks time in terms of <laughs> lockdown and stuff but you know uh, hopefully these episodes are helping people through whatever really is happening in their lives so anyway i feel lucky to do them it is our final pod of the year so we'll see people again in 2022 which sounds weirdly futuristic mm. to say we should say this week's guest is the wonderful holly matthews who i it's almost like a perfect guest to round off the year with, really. She's so inspirational. And I, I think you'll come out the other end of this episode really feeling inspired by the things she has done and the things she's continuing to do. We should say as well that we spoke to Holly. This was our second ever live podcast. Mm. And it was uh, during Kindfest 2021, which was also a fantastic thing to be involved with, wasn't it? Oh, it was amazing. And I think, you know, you and I um, jumped on a bit early to do our, our talk with 
Holly, because we were hosting for two, sort of two hours of the show, and yeah. there was a, such an inspiring um, event before we talked to Holly, wasn't there? There was all these yeah. um, poets who were yeah. talking about um, all sorts of different things, but yeah, it was absolutely incredible amazing poetry um and you know there was um it felt like we were in a a poetry club clicking yeah. our fingers in in, in yeah. and what i would loved about it and what we talked about a little bit off air um on the day was the 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 encouragement and support that each of the poets gave to one another they as they were doing their little spots and uh, i loved it i thought it was amazing and really inspiring and it was just one of those really magical things that you felt grateful to have witnessed yeah oft, yeah often when you're doing sort of like broadcasting stuff you're normally you are normally waiting around for your slot and quite often you're not concentrating but th- this was a real chance where you're like oh i've been lucky enough to come on early and witness this and mm-hmm. it was it i mean it was uh it was very touching really touching at times mm-hmm. and the guys were incredibly talented so it was not only did we then got to talk to holly for 45 minutes but we got to witness this i, I didn't i didn't know what to do <laughs> when after the first one, obviously, we were also watching on the screen. We're mm. going to see all the other acts and the, the poets, and they were clicking their fingers long. And I was like clapping my hands, like yeah. as a novice. I was like, oh no, you don't, you click, right, click your fingers. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I, complete novice into that world, didn't know what I was doing. Um, so by the end, I was clicking my fingers like an absolute poet pro, like I'd been watching them for years. Well, I um, think the clicking the fingers bit, I think because it's a slightly, I guess, because it's not a, a, as loud a sound, was this, yeah. I did notice it was when someone said something very poignant and brilliant. Yeah. Then yeah. the clicking would happen. So it was, yeah, it was almost like you kind of got into it. Oh, okay. They said something really resonant there. And that is was really powerful. Is it because you're not then taking over? Yeah. Is it something they maybe do at the Priority Nights because then yeah. you're not clapping and like interrupting someone's mm. flow, but it, you're acknowledging what you just said then really made an impact on me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, anyway, if, if any if, of our listeners know the origins of the clicking fingers yeah, thing, because like, like, it does seem like a, a, a very much a poet poetry yeah. thing you know it's the sort of thing you have at poetry slams and stuff and i just want I'm interested to know if it is that thing that you're not disturbing the yeah but you're showing that appreciation and maybe it's a like you would cheer at a, a rock concert or whatever yeah exactly but you don't want to get in the way of like someone's you know vibe and yeah. flow or whatever so no that was incredible to witness mm. really so you know thank you to Kindfest for having us on letting mm. us you know, be a part of that. And then we hosted for a bit. We filled for a bit, didn't we? Because they were sort of yeah. running ahead of schedule. But I think we did a, a great job personally. I think we're made for Radio 4, I'll be totally <laughs> honest. Well, yeah, um, it's only Radio 4 or Radio 3 or even Radio 2. I mean, if Steve writes off... We can't do Radio 1, can we? No, we're no, we're too old yeah. for that. But yeah. Radio 2, I mean, if, if Steve writes off any time yeah. and there's any producers listening, you know, we're Jim and I are happy to fill yeah. in. We'll, yeah. we'll even play some of the music that you want us to play. I mean, we're not, you know, we won't be snobbish about it. We'll play Giles' rendition of Greensleeves. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then... uh, I want that to be the intro to the show. <laughs> oh, that was such good fun. Um, right. Shall we talk about this week's guest? Or should we do tweets and then talk about, and then intro this week's Yeah, guest? I think so. Yeah, I've got a brilliant okay. tweet here from Margie Oxley. She says, I'm listening to one of my favourite podcasts on a long drive home today. Well, Thank you, Margie. It's very nice that we're accompanying you on your long drive home. I hope it was a, an easy journey. You weren't stuck in traffic or anything. And I hope you had a nice time wherever you went. Absolutely. And thank you for choosing us to be, you know, your travel companion. Mm. Um, I've got two tweets here. One from Dr. H, is a, is a regular tweeter and listener to thank the you, show. Thank you, Dr. H. You're always pleasant to see your uh, sounds, lovely yeah. messages. That's a little bit like a Bond villain or, or a Spider-Man <laughs> villain of some sort. Um, Dr. But, H. Uh, Dr. H, yeah, obviously, as you said H's, before. What would his um, powers be? Well, I, don't, I don't know. What's the H he, short for? 
Helium. Helium, uh, yeah. So he talks very squeakily. So high, squeakily. So high <laughs> yeah. that it pierces your ears. Yeah. And he's always floating above, above you somehow <laughs> in a hot air balloon. Dr. Um, Helium. To be honest, he, as we said before, Dr. H's um, hashtags in his Twitter bio then say, keep safe, be kind, which that doesn't feel like something that a Spider-Man villain would no. would do and say. So I think well, we're okay. Yeah, maybe, really clear. yeah maybe it could be like Spider-Man's sidekick or something. Maybe Dr. H. Anyway. Wait for good me, old... Spider-Man! <laughs> Go get him, Spider-Man! <laughs> oh, I sound like one of the chipmunks. That sounds like, like Mickey Mouse. Um, right. Dr. H says, and this is replying to our episode uh, last week um, with a fantastically talented Gamba Cole. Oh, it was a great um, episode. Oh, so good. <laughs> I could have spoken about football for hours. Um, but anyway, we talked about obviously loads of things. In his is that because he, he had a soft spot for Palace, though? Exactly. Yeah, anyone's got a soft <laughs> spot for Palace is, 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 is a legend in my book. Um, Dr. H says, uh, a really good listen with a very talented, down-to-earth young man. Looking forward to seeing Gamba Cole in many, many things to come. Thanks, as always. Absolutely. Um, Gamba will be, I think, a mainstay on your screens mm. for a while. And then Fred A. Smith, or Frieda Smith, possibly, Frieda Smith, um, says he was excellent in The Outlaws. And yeah, I've literally just finished watching Outlaws on uh, BBC iPlayer. It's so good. Gamba is brilliant in it. Stephen Merchant, obviously, you know, created it and is brilliant. The rest of the casting is fantastic. I was saying off air, I think the lady that plays Diane is, is amazing. Yeah. It's a great series, so do do watch it. Um, and yeah, Gamber is fantastic in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant show. And yeah, all hats off to um, Stephen Merchant and all the other people that put it together because it's brilliantly written. What's, the casting, like you say, is excellent. You know, everyone plays their part. Um, Crystal Walken pretty much steals every scene he's in, yeah. as you don't imagine he would, because he's brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's a fantastic show. Yeah, and... and um, you know, I can see huge things for Gambrob going ahead. I think he's a very talented actor, and he he obviously has quite a lot of dramatic part um, yeah. time in that in that show. And um, yeah, he, he he does it with the plum. So yeah, yeah, look forward to seeing him in lots and lots of other things going forward. Absolutely. Um, right. Speaking of going forward, this week's guest Holly Matthews, as we said, uh, actor, um, inspiration, life really life coach, uh, social media legend. Yeah. Shall we say? Um, fantastic person and she really opens up about her sort of life and career and uh, choices she's made and stuff like that in this episode which obviously was live during kind mm. fest as well um and i think we sort of mentioned some of the comments that are coming in live as well during the episode as well so yeah holly was fantastic and um i'm really pleased that we can sort of round off a great year with a fantastic episode and share this with everyone yeah i wanted to get holly on for ages because she is really inspirational and she yeah she's like you say she's been an actor um and still acts but yeah has become a life coach as well and has the happy me project which is sort of spawned out of losing her husband to cancer and yeah and she's just a really inspirational person and she talks all about those those difficult moments and 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 obviously the the positive impact um coming out of those things has, has led her to all these different things in her career and yeah she's just a really inspirational person and just really lovely and yeah, and, yeah just a good, lovely company and it was great to be able to talk to her in on kind fest which you know you know she's really kind and positive human being so it was just lovely to pull those things together yeah, she was the perfect guest for Kind Fest, that rhymes. And she's the perfect guest for the rest of this year's oh, episode. Stop. I just honestly, I just, <laughs> you know, some people just have it, don't they? Um, anyway, here is the fantastic uh, Holly Matthews on the Blank Podcast. Hello, Jim, we're back. We are indeed, yes, we are indeed. 
and we should have probably prepared something to say here. Um, how are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank <laughs> you. Um, well, this is very exciting because we're doing a live broadcast version of the Blank Podcast, and we've got an amazing guest with us today. We've got Holly Matthews. Hey, Holly, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so such a delight. I've been wanting to get you on Blank for ages, so it's just great that we can do it via the medium of a live broadcast to make it even more perilous for us. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, I want to talk to you about, there's lots of things I want to talk to you about, and obviously the Happy Me Project is a big part of your life now, and we want to talk about that. But I always think, you know, with Blank Podcast, we often start at the beginning, and I know you got into acting at a very young age. I mean, we were about 11, I think, when you started on Biker Grove. Is that about right? I was, I was 11. I was one of those kids that was like, just, I knew what I wanted to do from being young, which was quite weird, because my dad, my dad was a welder, and my mum worked in a bank, and here was little me going, I'm going to be an actress, and I would say, <laughs> I, oh, I would say, I am an actress, I never, I wasn't going to be anything, I am an actress, am. my name is yeah. an actress, and, you know, suddenly said to them that's what I wanted to do I'm sure there was some, some sort of bemused looks a little bit around the kitchen table <laughs> why <laughs> what do you mean where's this come from um, but yeah I got um, my first acting part at 11 and did that tv show for seven years so all of my growing up was on television mm. thankfully for me not at a time when there was social media because yeah. that would have added the pressure like tenfold it was already difficult as you know be going to a normal school and being on tv but um i don't envy people who were doing this now it's a very different world but yeah i started young in this in mm. that world i thought i thought you're gonna say my dad was a welder he was in flash dance so that the block can sing i mean he, he, <laughs> I, the dancing skills not there but okay. you know um, but no, definitely none of my lot were in that world at all. Um, it was it was a little weird for them. So I, I do have a question about that. But before I do that, I've got another question. Um, were you in the intro to Biker Grove? In the- yes. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so we did that on little tiny trumpets, and I think my first my first two we had a different director, and they didn't do it, so it kind of went, and I was fuming because you know I <laughs> wanted to, to do, do the, that, ju- yeah. the jumps is what it was called and I got to do the jumps and you had to just jump up and you know I was probably 13 by the time I got to do it and it was quite embarrassing and you had to shout like biker go yeah and and yeah but I, I got the jumps you know tick. okay so can you remember what your poses were then for the freeze I think it was that I think it was like a it was it was one of them I yeah. don't I, I mean I don't think I went wild with it um yeah that was that's a throwback for me that's brought back a little memory because oh, I did that that's so cool I always wanted to be it just in the I didn't want to be in like a grove but just, no, just in the jumped. intro yeah exactly that was, <laughs> that was fun was, didn't it yeah so I love that you were actually shouting like a grove as well no. oh that's made my uh that's made my day and now my question my actual serious question um and I don't do many on this podcast but I, now and then um was that if, if you came from a family where you know acting wasn't uh, part of part of family life, but were they supportive of it? Because I think sometimes it can be difficult if you've then got going into something new that the family isn't used to. Yeah, no, my family were and still do. I mean, I'm probably like I'm sure they just well, I know they've for for all of my work in life, whatever I've done, they've been continuously confused at what I'm doing <laughs> always worried is she going to be all right and I think now I'm 37 now I think they just kind of go 
just leave her be. She's doing weird <laughs> yeah. stuff again. Just let her be. So no, I was so lucky. Like both my parents, um, you know, they just always wanted more for me. Um, you know, my they, we didn't come from a wealthy area. You know, we didn't have loads of money when we were growing up. And my dad always used to say to me, don't let anybody nail your feet to the floor. Working class areas will, they will, they will nail, they will nail your feet to the floor. You, they'll tell you to reach for the stars, but as soon as you do, they'll nail your feet to the floor. And just don't let anybody do that. Don't let anybody, you know, clip your wings. Just fly. Go and do things. Try things. And and you know, dip your toe in the water. Do just do what you got to do. And I, I've been so lucky to have such support. And that continues. You know, even now, they my dad's currently reading my book that I'm working on, and there's just always support. I'm really lucky. I know that's not always the case for everybody. So Giles, that is definitely one for the T-shirts. Don't let anybody know your feet to foot. Unfortunately, yeah. when you come on the podcast, you do sign away rights to any sales. Um, so we are allowed. We're to constantly trying to make merchandise. That's not true. That's not true uh, at all. Um, but that would be that's a good one. I think that's is. a fantastic uh, motto. Yeah, absolutely. Shopping for clothes can be a hassle. Website images can be misleading. You never know how much will fit. And there's just so much choice. Let Stitch Fix do all the hard work for you. In a world of small, medium and large, you might be a medium or a marge. That's roughly where I am, to be honest. Or maybe you can't find anything that fits right. Get the perfect fit with Stitch Fix. I was going to say a... a a schmedium, I can't even say that. A schmedium <laughs> or a marge. Um, yeah, I think I was that for a long time, but now I'm just, I'm just a large. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm definitely a, uh, a marge, I think. And lockdown has, um, has aided, aided that move. I have to say, Giles, um, I'm so glad Stitch Fix are sponsoring us because I have been using Stitch Fix for the last year or so during lockdown and it has been an absolute godsend. They are brilliant. Um, I'll tell you a bit about how it works. Basically, you sign up, you enter in all your details as to what size you are, what styles you like, your sort of sartorial choices, and then every month or two months, three months, depending on what you choose, you get a box with five items, you try them on, if you like them, you pay for them, if you don't, you send them back free of charge. And during lockdown, when getting to the shops has obviously been not possible, and then slightly anxiety-inducing for someone like me, being able to buy these clothes online has been an absolute breeze. And I've bought quite a lot of items from Stitch Fix. It's really nice quality, it fits well, which is another problem with buying online. Normally, you buy something and it tends up being the wrong size. Um, and I've just been incredibly pleased with them. So I cannot recommend Stitch Fix enough. Yeah, if you're someone like me that finds um, buying clothes quite tricky sometimes, I never know what combinations are going to work well. Um, and this sounds like, you know, they do it for you. Absolutely. And you get a stylist. You get your personal stylist. Oh. And they pick out these items for you and they pick what would work for you. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. It has taken, for me, the anxiety of buying clothes online completely out of the equation. So I'm a big fan. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling company that makes getting clothes you love effortless. It's a completely different way to shop. That's all about you every time. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash blank to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you in your colours, styles and budget. You pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards everything you keep and you'll get 20% off when you keep everything in your fix. 
You can schedule at any time. There's no subscription required. Plus, shipping returns and exchanges are easy and free. This is the bit I love the most, Jim. Stitch Fix does the hard work for you, making great style effortless for men and women. Absolutely. I have to say as well, my wife Miranda is also uh, subscribed to Stitch Fix as well. So we are both, we are big Stitch Fix fans in the Door Daily household. Get started today at stitchfix.co.uk slash blank. That's stitchfix.co.uk slash blank. Yeah, it's amazing. And I was going to say, like, being 11 and being in a, you know, it was a big show at the time. It was, was huge. That, yeah, huge. Uh, and like I say, you said, obviously, it's good that you didn't have social media, but I guess there were other pressures. I mean, you must have, you know, going to school and stuff, I guess people thought it was kind of weird. Was it? Awful. <laughs> it was awful. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. You know, I went to a, there was no drama schools in Newcastle at the time. We didn't, I mean, I don't know if there is now, but it wasn't like that. And Biker Grove was very much similar to Grange Hill in London. It was normal kids getting a chance to do something different and they would go to normal schools. And I actually got my part because I wrote them a letter, which is quite hilarious because I f- my mom and dad found it on the computer. I mean, I couldn't believe we actually had a computer at the time. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it was 97. But I wrote this and they put it on a canvas for me for my 30th birthday. And oh, it's amazing. So, so good. And it's just, it was, I am Holly. I'm an actress. I wrote this letter and it said, um, I've got green eyes and I'd coloured it in green. And brown hair. <laughs> And um, I put at the bottom of it, I'd put, um, I've done my um, my Lambda exams, which was like my Saturday drama school. And I put, I'm not shy one bit, put that in there, you know, just let them know, just let them know. And then at the bottom, I'd put, P.S., please write back quickly. <laughs> I was just dead keen to hear from them. And it's and it was all done just for any designers listening. It was done in Comic Sans. Oh, so, oh amazing. I mean, a designer just died, didn't they? And it's so sad that that happened. Yeah. But, but at the time, that was fancy. You know, we thought yeah. that was fancy. A, a, com- <laughs> a little Comic Sans. Ooh, who do you think you are? You know, but that's... I sent it to them and they, they got me in for an audition. And then I auditioned about six times and I was thrilled to be on set to be working like seeing the grove and Mm. working with the other actors and then I didn't get the part but I wasn't disappointed because I was just like this is just well this is how you do it then I have to do this again there was no like worry like we we get as adults it was just well then we just do that again and until we get it it's just a numbers game right and then six months later I got a phone call and they'd actually written a part in for me and I, I then went on to do it but they always just had normal kids and so then going to a normal school was hard mm. like it, there was no two ways about it I went from you know I was quite young so I was only in my first year of secondary school so you're still a, you're still so young and I was quite a, a young um, 11 12 year old I was and I went in there thinking I've got this dream of being an actor I'm now fulfilling it of course everybody's going to be supportive of that dream and that was quite the opposite of what I witnessed and, and got and I actually moved schools and um, partly because of some of the the difficulties that I was having at school and I was just you know I was the kid off tv and although I was I guess in the popular crowd at school I was always 
a target. I always had a target on my back because I was the kid. And also people knew I was being paid to be on the show. And when you go to a normal school where people don't have very much money around Mm. you, you become a target. And so actually me getting into the world of self-development was very much because I grew up with all of this chaos around me. And on top of that, there's also the fact that every single day of my life, well, certainly for six months of the year when we filmed, I was going on set, I was having makeup artists correct my face, my growing face. I was aware of how I looked. I was on TV. I was, people commented on, mm. and so it created all kinds of body dysmorphia for me. And I genuinely, that where I am today in the world of self-development came from me having to like find the sense of that. And, you know, I would go to the library because I'm so old and I would get out um I would I would get out like Paul McKenna CDs and do hypnosis and then I would go without with my mates and drink Lambrini on the streets in the park and 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 get drunk and then I would go home and meditate and just not tell anybody about it because I was trying to make sense of this nonsense around me so so the answer in a very roundabout <laughs> way is yes it was hard of course it was yeah. hard <laughs> Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot to take on at, at 11, isn't it? You know, yeah. like you say, there's the, 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 the joy of doing the thing that you really want to do. But then obviously, you know, the working practices of that, like actually, the you know, it's hard work being on a set and stuff. And then obviously, yeah, doing schoolwork and all that sort of thing as well. So I can imagine it would be, and and, and being a teenager is rubbish. I mean, it's not, it's just not a good time of your life, is it, for anybody? I mean, no, yeah. it's awful. And, and then I think, yeah, like all of those things combined, just chucked into one thing. I think it's only now I look back and I go, you know what, that was a really good training ground for the rest of life because it was not, I love I loved being on set. And actually, as I go back, you know, I still do so much at either TV or I do, you know, filming myself, my own work. And often, you know, you'll get it levied at you when you share online. It's like, well, why do you share that stuff? It's an overshare or it's, you know, that kind of thing. And for me, I'm sure that if I sat down with a a psychologist, they would say, well, for me as a child, that was my safe space in front of the camera doing my thing in my zone of genius being an actor that was my thing that I loved and I was safe and I was in my zone there being in front of a camera felt safe and so it's always felt that and even now my way of getting out of my own head is to put a camera on and talk it out and it's it that might be bizarre to other people but it's it makes perfect sense to me yeah, no, it makes sense to me. And I think actually with a lot of sort of, uh, sort of YouTube generation and stuff, I think a lot of people find it a safe space as well. But it's interesting you're talking about sort of being that target at school. That's like a really early form of social media trolling. 100%. And, and I say now I'm in a really unique position that I get it on a level that most people my age won't get. So I have always lived with a platform. Now my platform is not, you know, Hollywood level, but I've never lived in it. Nothing I've ever done hasn't been watched Mm. in my whole, like from being that age, you know, that's before social media. I was on TV. I was on the radio, I was in magazines. I signed to Sony at 19. I was then another platform. And even now in my world, you know, with the social media stuff that I do, there's always been eyes on everything. And I think that's a really... Holly, that's the very, the exact opposite of my online experience. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, on literally none (laughs) it's it's a weird thing because i think like with my kids now i've got two daughters 
Brooks 10 and Texas is eight. And they're going into that new stage. You know, my oldest is going to secondary school. I, it's mm. horrific. I can't believe I have a child that's going to secondary school. Oh, um, my two, my two are just that second. Well, the oldest is in year 10 and the other one's yeah. in year eight. I can't believe both my kids are at secondary school. It's great. And, it makes me feel so old. We live in that though. And, and you know, as we just yeah. said, it's like a hard time in your life. Yeah. And, and I think the difference for, for, for me, I guess, is that I do understand that the, the trolling, I do understand what that means. I do understand the absolute fakery that is social media in a way that most don't. In fact, most of, I've got a a really good friend of mine who went through a really hard time with an eating disorder and still does and her mental health. And when we met 10 years ago, she just got out of um, a a center for her eating disorder. And, um, and she would constantly, because there's a 10 year age gap as well. And she very much was in the thick of the social media influence generation. She would message me constantly and say, Holly, has this been airbrushed? Has this been face tuned? Does this, and I'm like, babe, everything has like, it's a curated thing. Like, but I didn't realize that I understood that like I I've never really been sort of influenced by that because I know that it's just a game and it's pretend and it's it's a show like I've always understood that but in a different I don't know who you know any one of my generation that would really get it on that level it's kind of a position to be in Hmm. it is a game isn't it that is it really is and I think once you realize that and accept that I think it actually takes a weight of pressure off you a little bit I think it's not a very fun game though is it it's not not it's It's terrible sometimes isn't it it's miserable it's a well game but I think it kind of does like I think about it a lot like that and and obviously you know just like every human on this planet I'm losing the game sometimes as well Mm. but I do kind of think about it like that I think it's all just we just play, we just pretend like we're all doing stuff to fit in the boxes and do the thing and, and pay the bills and, you know, enjoy it a bit and all of that. And it, it is just a game. And I think there's definitely a pressure. If you can think about it like that, it definitely takes the pressure off in some ways. Mm. I think that that's interesting because that, um, when I look at people on social media, I often think like, okay, what's your, what's your end game here? What's your plan? What are you doing? But actually, when you get someone like Giles that comes along and sort of sprinkles some kindness in there, it's so refreshing because it doesn't happen very often. People are playing the game and people are promoting stuff and whatever. And actually, a bit of kindness and sort of authenticity then on social media. And you can't, people can't always do it. I get it. I, I don't really do it that often either because I often feel like social media is my business platform for my comedy and stuff so I'm promoting stuff and whatever and joking and whatever and in comedy when you joke it's always truth multiplied by a thousand you know to make it funny in theory um but yeah I just think I don't know I always think about Giles's Twitter account and the kindness he puts on there because so much. I, don't, I don't see a lot of it no there's not and I, I do I mean I hope with things like this I think there is a tide that is turning and I think certainly the last year has made people really reassess stuff because we were really forced online in a way that most people mm. or other, other those of us that work in this world anyway and are online for our businesses and stuff it it's not been as it is not it's not so weird for us but for the majority of people suddenly thrown online with everyone's opinions and everyone's thoughts and all of that stuff I think it was just a lot and I, I think there's almost becoming this backlash against the fakery you know I I just I think we've seen it and we've done it and and I constantly feel like certainly in my business I'm constantly trying to show more honest like a more balanced view I'm always trying to go this is not you will see me at nice events you might see me doing fun things you'll see my polished publicity photographs 
but you, you're not seeing me crying on the kitchen floor. You're not seeing me when I shouted at the kids and I felt awful about it. You're not seeing the rubbish moments in my life. Or, you know, it's not, and, and often there's even this curated version of those rubbish moments online. And I think we're just, I think the audience is done with it. We've had enough. Like, we just want to see that not everybody has their life together so we can feel okay with how weird we are. That's it. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think I think authenticity is I get guess what we a lot of us are striving for. I mean, I think I want to be as authentic as possible online as I am in real life, and I think, but I agree with you that that's not always the case for everybody. But, you know, particularly on you know we see it on you see it on Instagram, well, and all the platforms really that people are creating these their own their story in a certain way and the narrative of that that they create and how that you know continues. But I think yeah, I think we just I don't know. I think it, it'd be nice if we could strive towards some some more authenticity. Um, I think I, I enjoy, you know, seeing authentic, like people being authentic online. I mean, that, that's what, you know, I, I enjoy seeing that. Me too. I agree with you. And I also don't even judge those that really partake in the fakery either because they are a product of the same environment. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I really try to like that because it'd be so easy to start going people on, I don't know, Towie, Love Island, they're perpetuating this. But you know what? They grew up with the same stuff we did. They, they, they're part of this too. They do, it's not their fault that they are playing that game just because we may try and do it a different way. I just try and think, you know, I always have in my mind, always, always, and I say this to my kids, everyone is doing the best that they can. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> We're doing our best. Like, it doesn't matter whether somebody else's best matches what I need from them or what I think is right. It's none of my business what they're doing and what, how I am is not anybody else's business. But we're all doing the best that we can based on our own life experience. And I think if we can have that in our minds, when we slip into a mindset of trying to judge or we get irritated by people, it takes us, it can help us step back a little and go, mm. they're doing the best. I might not agree with them, but that's their world. They've got to live in it. I can, I completely agree. And I, I find there, there are a lot of Twitter accounts that like wind me up some, mostly in the sort of football Twitter community mm. that wind me up and stuff. And I never tweet or anything or reply to them. But sometimes you get close to it and you think, oh, I really want to call this person an idiot. But I try and stop myself and try and tell myself, like, it, it has nothing to do with me. Like, it literally has nothing to do with me. So why get involved? Why say anything? This is just someone putting their opinion out. No. It winds you up. It's so it's hard. Not but yeah, I know, it is hard. It's not at us. Like, I was, like, in the past, in this, you know, I was, I mean, I grew up in a family of very opinionated, left-leaning union. Like, they were, we we debate, we would argue. We, like, I grew up in that household. And so, you know, when I was... Allow, you know, out on social media when, you know, if I look back on my old tweets and I had been on it and everyone had been going in for every argument and every battle. And I really don't do that now. However, I will hold my hands up about two years. I think it's about two years ago. My oldest doesn't sleep amazing. And so I was trying to get her to bed and I was sat there and I'm sitting in a, I'm, I'm a lot of parents watching or listening will be, will be aware of what this is like. I'm sat there on the floor waiting for her to go to sleep in the mm. dark with my phone in my hand, <laughs> you know, trying to creep, trying yeah. to creep, trying to avoid Hide the screen. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm sat there and I'm so bored. And I went on Twitter and I hadn't been on Twitter because Twitter was so triggering for me to get 
embroiled in a disagreement about politics. So I was like, I'm not going there. And then, so I'm sat there and I thought, I'll just have a little look on Twitter, right? So I'm sat there and I thought, I'm, I'm fine about this. I'm totally fine. It's fine. I'm not going to attend it. And then there was some, and I don't I can't remember what the actual conversation was about, but it was Russell Brand had said something and people had really got offended by it. And I was going, I was reading it going, this is ludicrous. He's having a joke. He's a comedian. It's a joke. And so I did a few comments just like, I was, I didn't, I was just on one. And I was like joking myself the next day it's in the Metro newspaper that uh, I've been tweeting. Uh, <laughs> I was like, just step away from Twitter. <laughs> just yeah. And it was like the, the universe just went enough. You you said you weren't going to do that. And so it was a very, very quick lesson not to do that. Um, so, yeah, made myself out to be like Russell, Fra- Russell Brand's biggest fan. So <laughs> I mean, I like him, but, you know, it was a, it was a very quick lesson that you don't attend every argument that is brought to you, brought to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we've, I mean, yeah, um, we've talked about this quite a lot on the podcast before, Jim, with the sort of, uh, I don't want to say lazy journalism, but I, I've just used that term. So we'll, we'll go with it. Well, you know, because, you know, it's the clickbait, isn't it, at the end of the day? And it's very, mm. you know, and I think, unfortunately, another sort of, sort of subset of, of, of social media is, is clickbait and, and the media is, you know, can be very quick to, you know, it's harder to sell newspapers and stuff now. So I guess it's a, it's an easier, you're, you know, people are an easier target to, you know, it's something so you might've said, I mean, even if you said it in context, to, it's very yeah. easy to take it out of context and use it as a, as a, you know, as a head. The only good thing actually about when that happened was I was at the time I was teaching a course to entrepreneurs it was called 10 days to get seen. And <laughs> my point was shown really well, like how quickly journalists will pick something up. It wasn't on purpose, but I was like, you have to understand that when you put it out on social media, it is there forever. Yeah. Like it is there forever. And I had a really like, uh, quite a few, it was 2016. I had my first time of it being really negative. Not that I've had like, um, certainly I've had trolling, but like from a, a journalist perspective. So my youngest daughter had a video that went viral and it was such a silly thing. You might've even seen it at the time and not known it was related to me at all. But my daughter did a little video. She was five at the time and it was directed at Theresa May at the time. And it was about homelessness. And it was just her. We'd been out in some leafy part of the West Midlands and Leamington Spa and we'd seen loads of homeless people I had then um spoken to her about homelessness and we chatted and I'd said Theresa May was in charge she'd asked me if the queen was in charge I said no Theresa May at that time was in charge and so we'd had a conversation because she sees me on video or she had seen me on tv she said can I make a video for Theresa May and I was like yeah yeah yeah, we'll make a video this was months before it actually happened and it ended up being it was a bedtime bribe that she was like I'm not going to sleep like I want to make my video and I went okay (laughs) it was a silly little it was in my opinion it was so you can go and search it Brooke Brooke talks to Theresa May. It'll it'll be online because it was everywhere. And I put it on my Facebook page, which at the time didn't have a massive amount. I mean, it had a few thousand, but it wasn't wasn't massive and I thought it would get a bit of a smile because it was really positive it wasn't anything horrible she was a little bit she's cross but it was cute she's fine I didn't think anything of it it went on to some political satire Facebook page like a left-leaning Facebook page and suddenly the genie's out the bottle and I'm getting calls off like the Ellen show and like Russia today it went wow 
everywhere. Now, the vitriol that I experienced after that was on a different level. And it certainly taught me a lesson in being very careful, certainly with my kids. It made me go, Mm. not comfortable with that. I'm fine. I can defend myself all day long and I don't take it serious. Someone can call me all the names under the sun on social media and I will just go, do you need a cuddle? (laughs) Do you need some help? (laughs) What can we do here? Um, But that was a different level because as a parent, you just want to go in on the person and you just want to get angry. And that was really hard. And at the time, we were going through a really difficult time in our personal life in that my husband, Ross, had it was having his second brain surgery. And I was just getting ping, 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 Mm. ping every second of the day of people just wanting to tell me I was a bad parent for telling my child that homelessness was an issue. Like, no, I'm not. Like, that's ridiculous. But it's just really interesting how it all works. And we just live in this world now. And I I certainly teach my kids about the fakery. I show them Facetune. I tell them it's not real. It's a game. And and we talk about it a lot. And I think that's all we can really do as parents. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my my kids are. I mean, lucky that they're they're fourteen and twelve, but they're not. They've not shown any interest in social media, mm-hmm. particularly, which is interesting. And I think actually, their generation seems to be sort of like slightly turned off from social media. I mean, I think some of their yeah. friends have got Instagram accounts, but I don't think they really do much on them. Um, I think like things like TikTok have obviously taken off. It's slightly different, but um, yeah, it does seem that I, I don't know if like if if these platforms will even be relevant in like. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. Um, is. Maybe, maybe it's. But you know, maybe they will just solve it. They're smarter than us. You know, they'll 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 solve it all. Maybe. Let's hope so. Yeah. 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 I do actually. uh, The younger generation. I mean, younger generations tend to be sort of more savvy than the older ones, anyway. But I do Mm. think this this particular younger generation are so switched on to climate change and the things that matter. I actually feel very confident that uh, that they'll be okay. We're in good hands. We're in good hands. Get to old age, they might look after us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it's interesting. I mean, you you know, you're talking about your experiences, and that's not a horrible experiences from social media. But I can imagine that probably after a while makes you not want to be your authentic self. So actually, it does make you want to step back a bit and maybe be careful about what you put out. And this links into a question we've been asked actually. by someone who's got the name Anonymous, um, which I'm guessing is not their real name. Maybe it's, who knows, they might have had interesting parents. Um, but the question says, what support slash network does Holly have to encourage her to be her authentic self? Because I imagine with experiences like that, it must be difficult sometimes. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um so let me think. think <laughs> it starts with the fact that I do have parents that would support me, whatever. And I've always known that there was a space for my weirdness and my quirks. And that was okay. As a kid growing up on TV, I hid all of it. And I want just like every teenager on the planet. I just wanted to be the same as everybody else. And I fought against all of my, you know, weird stuff that I have and you know my creativity and my you know need to 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 have that creative side and all of that and I I tried to fit in boxes for many years I think in some respect in socially I think um and then but then I always had that out being an actor and and actors tend to be 
is a general rule. People in that world, I think, in the entertainment industry, we like to we like to offload all our stuff. Since we meet people, we just want to know everything about them. So it makes me like I recently did a, a comedy series, and I haven't done any acting um, for a while. And I just was like, I love being around actors because they just want to go. These are my these are my um, you know darkest fears. This is my trauma. This is my um, this is all my my good bits. This is what my ambitions are. And they want to talk about the stuff that I like talking about. So I think having been around people that gave space for me to not feel, even in my weirdness, even in my, the stuff that I, I would be in normal circles perceived as like, that's a bit strange. I think I always had an outlet because of the acting industry and there always being somebody a little weirder than me anyway. So that was always nice. Um, I do, you know, over the years, I've certainly had support from friends and family. And over the years, I've had counselling and I've had sessions with therapists and I continuously work with people in the self-development world, whether that's life coaches, whether that's therapy, whether that's, you know, whatever that looks like, whatever form of therapy. And I'm a massive advocate for just talking it out and, and finding a group of people that allow you that space. And I, I really believe that there we're so lucky with the internet in that whatever your particular favorite thing is and part of your there's somebody out there that's like you and I've I've understood that more and I feel like every year I get older another layer of bullshit if I allowed to swear I've just swore sorry it's fine <laughs> it's live isn't it so <laughs> I'm sorry no it's I'm cool sorry. don't worry I, I am sorry but then that's me being authentic and yeah, I, it's right. no no it's fine exactly. we, we normally allow it's swearing so worry. okay <laughs> I held them in because I am a swearer um, but I, I've, I've cut away the layers of stuff like I've cut away of any of that stuff and actually over the last year year ago or whenever I was actually diagnosed with ADHD which was an interesting thing for not a surprise as such because it's been said but it was actually another layer of understanding of myself and another way to let go of shame which is often what we carry and there was a lot of stuff where I would get to a certain point and I didn't understand why you know this version of if I did this you know I work with a lot of business coaches if you do it in this way this equals success and now my ADHD brain was like but I don't want to I want to do it in the fun <laughs> way like I want to do it upside down and back to front and not that way and I, for, for years I kind of carried a level of shame that of that disorganized chaotic stuff that comes with some of the symptoms of ADHD and actually understanding that made me go Oh, it's okay. And and rather than masking all of that stuff now, I just go, you know what? I'm just going to educate those around me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, I'm sat here fiddling with things here because I, there's always a level of energy that's trying to escape my yeah, body. Me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same, yeah. And in the past, I'm I'd be like... a guitar tick, pick yeah, at the moment. I'm through my mortified fingers, yeah. that I'm doing that or mortified that I'm fiddling and doing... And I just think every... I've forgotten the question, but every, every <laughs> layer, every year, there's a new layer stripped back. And I sort of find, I think I now just attract those, the right people into my spaces. And the more that you lean into your authentic self, the more you attract those people. If you can hear my children screaming in the background. Don't worry, it's fine. They're welcome. I to have a fight. <laughs> so that's happening uh, that's what happens when so we do at this time of night exactly it's just it's more yeah. the, more the authenticity that's good um, what you need is a swedish cabin like i've got yeah. into, so. i'd like a swedish cabin please that'd be relaxing holly i want to ask you about the happy me project how tell, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is 
uh, yeah. and your role in it. And then obviously, like, what were the origins of it and how it all came of course. about? So the Happy Me project started as a, a simple online course of self-development. And my brand of self-development has been always about keeping it simple. I believe that self-development doesn't have to be fancy. And if it is too fancy, we won't do any of the stuff because it will be just too hard in our lives. So I'm always looking for ways to just help people to feel more happy and less crappy and whatever that looks like. And so it started as a course. And then I did a few of the courses that were just one-offs, evergreen courses where people could just go and do them on their own. And then it became a workshop and I toured the UK with that workshop. We did 16, originally 16 sellout shows. I was going to say, see, it's the actor in me. (laughs) Um, 16 sellout workshops um, around the UK, which was brilliant. I loved being able to get that direct feedback off people and what was working. It's now a podcast. It will soon to be a book. I'm not really supposed to speak about that, I don't think, but I've said it now. So there we go. <laughs> um, it's, there's, there's lots of things that have come about from it and it's now a membership. So in September, I opened up the membership and the membership really was because what I really learned from working one-on-one with people, working at the workshops was when somebody does something, we get this kind of heady feeling. We'll do a course, we'll get excited, we get into it. But actually, once that course has finished, there's no accountability, there's no support, there's nothing. And so we don't do the thing anymore. So I really, I thought, well, if I can make it like a, you know, a low end price membership that people can tap into, they can have that support, they can have that accountability. I class myself as a, a love punch kind of coach. Like I will work with you. I mean, I'm, I'm classified as a life coach, even though I hate the name life coach. I'm a life coach, hypnotherapist, NLP practitioner. I do EFT, all of the, the, the self-development stuff. But I like to work with people and I like to kind of just prod them a little bit into the direction that in a slightly forceful, humorous way, um, I, won't, I won't let people like BS themselves. So I, I will do that with them. But they'll have that support in that community. And it's I'm really glad I've done that because it was kind of procrastinated on for a long time. But I've got about 70 or 80 members in there now. And they're just fantastic. Like they're all in this space of supporting each other. You know, much like you're creating on, on Twitter, you've got such an amazing community and it's so important. So now they get the, the tools to work on some stuff each month and they get the support of the community. They get me in there in the Facebook group that we have and in the membership area. And, and it's just a space for support and, and really trying to keep it simple and not complicated. I'm always thinking anytime I hear like self-development buzzwords that I feel like people have switched off their minds to, I'm thinking, how can I say this differently? That is going to make it simple and not make them switch off because I know this could be a really great tool for them if they use it. So that's how it, that's what it is. How it came about was for those that have, you know, never heard my story before, which may be many of them, many of you guys listening. My husband was diagnosed in 2014 with brain cancer. And we did the whole brain cancer journey of, you know, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, brain surgeries, and everything that comes with that. And anyone who's experienced that will know it's not much fun. And in 2017, Ross died of brain cancer. And from that point, I had already been doing self-development stuff during his diagnosis because I'd been acting solely up to that point. I was very entrepreneurial, so I was always doing other things, mm-hmm. but my focus was the acting world and picking up that Oscar in Hollywood. And I didn't have any other plan for that. Although I was doing self-development for myself, when Ross was diagnosed, I suddenly found people gravitated towards me and were going, like, how are you, what do I do? Like, how do I navigate this? You know, friends, family, people watching me on social media. 
And I just began to talk about it and it kind of gravitated very organically into that space that it became something I could do while he was ill. And I began coaching, initially working on confidence with people, actually. And then when he died and I was in the hospice, so the, the weeks leading up to his death, he was in a hospice for about a month. And again, another level of platform, like suddenly that was in the newspapers and it was mm. everywhere and everybody knew and everybody. And my way of coping, some people, you know, hide under a blanket. I'm a person who needs to create, not consume in times of difficulty. Like I, I can't look at anything else anybody else is doing. I'm creating my version of what this will look like. And so I was learning. I was doing an advanced life coaching course. I was creating stuff. And because it was all over the press, my social media obviously was inundated with people and people going through similar things to me and asking, how do I walk through this? How you seem to have ideas. And, you know, at the time, I certainly wasn't ready to people and, and see people and coach people one on one. But I thought it'll give me something to do. I'll just create an online course. It'll be dead basic. It'll be step by step. It was initially it's a 21. It's still available, but it's a 21 day course of audios and um, videos. And I thought if I do that, every time people speak to me, it was 30 quid. It was never an expensive course for anyone to do. I thought I can give them something tangible, but I, it's hands off for me. I just can say, look, do this. This is what I do to not lose my mind. Do all of these basic steps had no expectation there was no big launch for it I just pushed it out into the world and suddenly there was just thousands of people doing it across the world and talking to me and it it just grew organically from that space and I think sometimes and I, I know this is probably a little bit of an ADHD thing as well where we just go I'm doing it now or I'm not doing it at all and it's very like mm -hmm. heart rather than <laughs> logic sometimes but I find that that works for me and I find that the, the times when I just go this is a, clearly a necessity and, and I'll just do it it gets done and it, it hits home in a different way and so that's you know that's where it came from it was there was no sort of strategy in it other than the, the name, the happy me project I had written down and I found it in my notes. I had written it down as an idea five years before oh, and really? thought that would be a good name. Yeah. It's really weird oh, that that yeah. was a thing. And then I, I found it years before. I think I'd even recorded a video on YouTube talking about the idea of it. Um, and just, I'd forgotten I'd done that, but yeah, I found it quite recently and I was like, that's so weird that I became a thing. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of buried in there, but you maybe you tucked it down somewhere. Yeah, for later, kind of, you know. Exactly, came out at the right time. Yeah, yeah. I'm very sorry you went through all that, and especially as that is something that's very private that you had to sort of, I guess, play out in a public sphere, which obviously, I'm guessing, yeah. makes it more difficult. But it's interesting you talk about, oh, sorry, um, self development, because mm. um, I think obviously what you did in that moment as you say, having to get something out there and then creating this space for people to have their own self-development. Self-development to me is a form of kindness. It's a kindness to self. Yeah. You are, you're being kind to yourself in that moment and you're giving yourself the chance to flourish and um, proceed and move forward. Um, and yeah, just that really struck me when you're talking about, because um, my wife is a, an actor who's done uh, life coaching or trained as a life coach as well. And I'm the same when I hear the phrase life coach. I always think... But yeah. actually, self-development is such a better way of saying it because I think yeah. that really sort of frames what it is. And it is a, it is a, a it's kindness to self. So much. And I, I think, like, I'm always about 
you know, our stories and what we tell ourselves about what something is. It's always about that. Like I often say to my clients, like change your BS story, like that. It's the story that's holding you back. You can continue to grab onto that story if you want of the version of it. And I remember being in the hospice and, you know, there was so many eyes on so many opinions of how I should behave and how I should do grief and what it should look like and how I should do this. And, you know, even from the doctors, I would have the doctors come in because they were witness to things that within the press. And it was like, but are you okay? And I was like, of course I'm not okay, but I'm, I, I don't know how else to do this. But I really remember like having all of this noise and thinking, how is this supposed to look like, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do this? How am I going to do this? It's terrifying. You know, you've got somebody that you love and, and Ross and I were, were really close from the second we met, we were together all the time and we just, you know, we I joke about, it and I've said it before, but we just spent our days. He was an entrepreneur and you know, he did his own thing, had his own business. And we just potted around together, drinking cups of tea and, and, messing about we used to say those that play together stay together like we just had a laugh so suddenly I'm in the space where I'm sat there and Ross was very direct Ross actually had autism so he was like black and white I'm dead or I'm alive they tell me I've got cancer I can't feel it so whatever and we just got on with our lives and so even when you know he wasn't aware I was able to know his voice and know who we were as a couple and understand how we lived our lives. And we didn't live any aspect of our lives in the traditional sense. We just didn't. Everything we did was kind of seen as a little bit weird or not the right way of doing something. And so as I was sat in the hospice and, you know, the stories of other people's version of what this should look like are filtering in, I just remember sitting there and really thinking, this is your version of this. You've done nothing in your life in the way you were told you were supposed to. Why do you have to do this the same as that's supposed to look? You don't have to put on the black veil. You don't have to pretend. You can just live. And I really decided from the very beginning, I would grieve in whatever way it showed up. And I wouldn't judge it. And any the only time I ever felt I was judging myself was when I listened to other people's opinions of what it should look like and people would say to me a lot and probably still do no but is she really all right and I would say of course I'm not all right all of the time like there are times even now it's only been four years like there are times now when you know me and the girls are talking and we miss Ross so much it's painful but then on the flip side we have an amazing life. We're happy. We laugh all of the time. And Ross is in my mind of, you know, he was so direct. If I was like not living my life, he'd be like, what the hell, what are you doing? Get up. I get crack on. I'm dead. Like, and, and we, you know, we certainly, even the girls, we joke about that all the time. We're like, we say how he would say it. And I, I think it's just always about being kind enough to yourself, as you say, with with doing some form of self-development. And I'm certainly not the oracle of all of the self-developments. There is a lot of things you can do. And, you know, I certainly try to learn all of the things. But as I learn, I share it with other people. But it's about the story. You can hold on to your pain and you're allowed to. I was, you know, I say to people all the time, you can sit in your pants and have days where you just watch Netflix and eat chicken nuggets and it's fine. And those days are important as well. But if you want to stay, if you stay doing that, you, you're keeping yourself stuck and it's not easy. I'm, you know, I'd certainly not to minimize pain. I'm in the trenches as well with, with everybody else. But if we, if we have hope in our minds and our hearts of going, I want a nice life, then we have to start 
with something. We just have to move one step forward. And often it just starts with going, I'm bored with this story now. This story of, let's say, let's say if I had bought into the story of the black, you know, the widow and the, the sadness in my life is over, which is what I saw when I Googled it, when I was Googling, you know, what's it like being a widow at 32? Fun, fun Google search. You know, it was a depressing story. It was life's over, done and dusted. Everything's depressing. You'll never get over it. And I just was like, I'm, that's not that doesn't work for me that story and I think if we can start with the story and decide what we'd love it to look like we can you know that gives us something to hang our hat on yeah absolutely I mean that's really powerful and thank you for being so candid about your story as well um mm-hmm. and I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening who will t- you know take great f- comfort what, from what you said and will empathize with you know you, you know your your experiences as well um Yeah, and I think it's so true that that idea of kind of making sure that our story is our story um, and not influenced by other people. I think that's so important. Um, So, yeah, so thank you for doing that. Um, Really appreciate it. And it's a brilliant project. So what's planned? What have you got planned? Obviously, you've got – I know you can't talk about it, but you've got a book coming out. You've got the (laughs) podcast. Uh, What else are you doing? Are you going to do any more of the workshops? Have you got – Yeah, so I did one in August in Coventry, basically around the corner from my house because I'm lazy and I like to just (laughs) (laughs) – It's always good to be convenient, I think. And everybody in London, because I've not done London yet, and I'm, like, going to get – like, all the Londoners are like, it's not – fair like why don't you come to I'm like guys come on police you get loads of stuff like it's the north and the midlands they don't get as much come on you can come out of London for a minute of the south so I probably will do something down south at some point and it's kind of you know the last the last two years have been such a weird time that I've just done it ad hoc so yes definitely because I love doing them and now that the membership is open, what I'd love to do throughout next year, depending on where we're at and ev- you know everything, how the world is, what I would like to do is have you know the members be able to meet in person. I think that's nice as well because a lot of people come to me and they have levels of anxiety and things that they're dealing with, which can be really nerve wracking. And in the past, I realised it's so hard for people to come to my workshops. You know, I'm often coaching people before I do videos of where we're going to be. I ask them, you know, would it be good? Do you want to sit near me? Do you want to sit completely away from me and hide? Do you need to, you know, if you're going to have a panic attack, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to help you? Know, do you want to go outside? Do you want to, because I'm so aware that when people are working with me, that's their world. There's this stuff. And so I think it'll be really nice for people when they've joined the membership to, because people are so supportive in there and it's such a nice space for people to, to share what's going on with them, that they'll get to know people as friends online to then take that into, you know, next year, it'll be, it'll be a different kind of thing. Because August time, when I did that workshop, a lot of people came from all over the place and um they had got to know each other in my fit the happy me project facebook group and it was nice for them it was a different atmosphere to it had been before where it was just loads of people coming who didn't know each other now they've got to know each other it didn't feel quite as daunting Mm. and it was a really it was a lovely vibe so next year i think there will definitely be some more in-person stuff i want to get out and you know we're done with all this covid stuff now i want 
want to see human beings in the flesh and um yeah all sorts of other stuff I don't know you know I I haven't I'm not one of these people in business that plans all yeah and every business coach out there is going to be like you should be planning that launch (laughs) (laughs) and I'm gonna go I don't want to it sounds boring yeah not well, going to do it. Well, Holly, you sound like somebody who doesn't like to sit still. And I think and that's part of the ADHD, perhaps. Um, I'm interested about that because I, I, I've, I'm sure I've got ADHD. Um, how, how did you first sort of think about going to get diagnosed? Was it something that was playing on your mind for ages? or oh, It had been said to me over the years, through, you know, the, the worlds that I'm in, people talk about mm. their minds. And people said, oh, do you have, I think it was classed as, at the time, ADD. Yeah. And I was like... No, that's for hyperactive boys. What do yeah. you mean, naughty boys? <laughs> and I just didn't really know what that played, how that played out for girls. And my oldest daughter, um, there was we've looked at potentially some neurodiversity mm. for her. So my husband was autistic, and um, you know, me having ADHD, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility so we've looked at that and obviously we've looked at is it just um attachment stuff because of his death and grief and so we've let it be and we've let it marinate but because of me doing research for her which is often the case for adults who get diagnosed as adults they research the children and I'm like okay this is that's my life story and I didn't know what to expect you have to when you get a diagnosis there's a lot of work on you as a child and you have to speak to your parents so I had to go through all these forms my parents and ask some questions and some very revealing things that I had no idea and you know certainly in the night the early 90s and the 80s nobody knew what that stuff was and I was put down mm-hmm. as being a creative weirdo like that's just what those kind of you know nobody it and my dad actually said to me what you know is there a need for a diagnosis which is a valid point um but what I've found with the diagnosis, so I, I, I was just curious, and, and also I'm impulsive, so that was it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm impulsive as well. So I got a, I'm mixed type ADHD. There's different types. Often women are inattentive, um, but I'm mixed, which makes me inattentive and impulsive. And <laughs> the, the best combination. What combo? <laughs> so basically, I will ignore you and I'll interrupt you. <laughs> so when I went through, so it's quite a long process of di- in terms of like chatting to the, the psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, whatever, which one it is, I forget. Um, and you do a lot of, it's a lot of backstory. You have to have somebody closest to you who knows you who seek, it's called an, well, like the form that they sent, it was like an informant. <laughs> That's what it was called. Oh, okay, like wow. I was like, don't tell on me, like, <laughs> don't tell tales on what I do, like weird stuff. But the more I kind of learned about how it is in women and how it looks as an adult, it was just really interesting. And looking at my life, if I play it back, there's never been, I've never been in one place at once. When I was at school, I was always on TV. When I was at college, I was signed to Sony. So I was always, I was recording and I was back and forward. As an adult, I've always done about a million things at once. And so actually that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. And actually ADHD has helped me probably in loads of ways, but it helps you until it doesn't help you. And there are other sides to the diagnosis, you know, of ADHD that aren't so fun. 
And, um, and certainly as I've got older, some of those have played out a little bit more and I found that frustrating. And, and certainly, you know, COVID lockdown times was not fun for no. somebody who wants to be spontaneous. And then even stepping out into the world and it's like, you've got to book in advance. And I'm like, I'll just stay here. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> like, um, so that's, it's just, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people in creative spaces tend to have an AD, a level of ADHD. I think there is definitely certain, there's a, a certain, it's a good space for it. It's a yeah. good space for that kind of personality. And, and in my house, we don't, you know, we don't judge. I say to my kids, like, if there is anything that you have, it's nobody else's job to deal with that. It's nobody else's job to deal with the fact that I have ADHD and I will be annoying at times in certain aspects of the way I do things. That's my business. I have to explain and articulate what's going on for me. If I'm getting, you know, sensory overload because there's too much going on, it's not, I can't just shout at everybody around me because they're not playing by the rule of the world that I want to live in. That's my business that I have to deal with and articulate. And I think that's an important thing when it comes to diagnosis. It's you'll get other people that will say, well, it's just an excuse for bad behavior. And I'll say, no, it's not an excuse unless you make it an excuse. There's reasons and excuses. There is a reason why I will behave in a certain way based on how my brain executive function doesn't quite work how it's supposed to. It's not an excuse. You know, it, you know, if somebody, a lot of people with ADHD will be late. I'm the opposite because I've learned that I don't want to feel late. So I'll turn up two hours early. That's really annoying. I have time blindness beyond words. I've no idea how long something takes. I will forget everything but I can learn a script that's the contradictory nature of ADHD <laughs> so you know I don't know I, I think for me it's helped me in that I've let go of a lot of shame yeah that's the biggest thing that I've went you know what the reason I do it this way and the reason it's back to front and I is because of probably that and I the more I've learned about ADHD the, the less I think I have any personality and I'm just a bunch of symptoms which is quite terrifying <laughs> quite you're Holly aren't you at the end of the day yeah, yeah you're Holly so it's cool uh, you know and I'm Giles uh, yeah. and you're Jim um <laughs> exactly but I think letting go of that shame letting go of that shame I think is is, is very freeing and you mentioned mm. it earlier as well and that dist- uh, that struck me so um yeah I think that's the big thing um Holly we could talk to you for hours yeah, it's been and so I think good. we should do a part two maybe on the podcast at some point but we have yeah. actually come to the end of our our slot here yeah. at Timefest. Oh, it's been so great I've got one comment to read out if that's okay from our um from our listeners uh, from Hannah so hello to Hannah so Hi, Hannah just to say that Holly is an inspiration to so many. Ah, that's Aww. so gorgeous. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you so much. That's yeah. so lovely. And that, well, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so being, much. It's been I mean, a joy Holly, talking been, to you. Been, yeah. Yeah. It's been and thank you for being so honest and candid. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will be able to relate and will and will find help and guidance from that. So thank you so much. So you're really welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Holly. Well, there you go. Holly Matthews on The Blank Podcast. Final episode of this year. What a way to round off uh, the year. And I think, as we said many times before on this podcast, these episodes don't really sort of... Uh, they rely on our guests being open and honest. And, and Holly really was today. Um, and I think when you've gone through something as painful as she has, and then you use that experience for good, 
and positivity, not just for yourself, but for other people as well. So I think that's an incredibly powerful thing to do. And, and, and that's why we called her an inspiration at the top of the show, because she really is. Um, added to that, she's an incredibly friendly, bubbly, engaging person, which I'm sure you came across in the episode as well. So it was a real honour to talk to her and a pleasure really and unfortunately it's a shame that we had the scheduling of only 45 yeah. minutes because we could have spoken to her for hours and, and maybe we will do a part two at some point because i think we could speak about loads more things of holly but uh yeah thank you so much to her for for coming on and a massive thanks to kind fest as well for facilitating it and and having us as well so yeah real special way to, uh, to round off 2021 yeah huge shout out to Susie hills who's the organizer of well one of the organizers yeah. of, of kind fest and, and approached me to uh, approached us rather to come on and and do a little session and it's really nice to have blank involved and yeah. yeah get get to do some more presenting you and i um so yeah it was really great and uh it was yeah it was really honored to be asked and it's lovely to be able to do a a live version of the podcast on there as well so yeah really great and like you say couldn't have had a better guest so thank you and i um i'd like to do some more live stuff i mean i mean obviously being a stand-up comedian, that's sort of like my, mm. my arena. I love doing live stuff. And obviously we did the live pod at Latitude a couple of years ago. So uh, I, I think maybe, you know, I, I try not to make New Year's resolutions because I don't like to sort of, I feel sometimes you can set yourself up to fail, but I like to make goals and plans. Mm. And a goal for me for next year would maybe we can try to do one more somewhere live podcast, whether it's at a festival or just you and I doing our own thing somewhere, maybe, you know, down near you, we can hire a room or something. Mm. Um, let's do a live pod because they are, um, the energy when we did the Latitude one was great. And I've done a couple of live pods with my Palace podcast and the energy in the room is, is it's really warm and lovely. So yeah, that's what I'd like to do for oh, 2022. I think that would be a lovely thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I've always liked the idea of maybe putting on a little podcast festival. Like maybe we could get yeah. two or three pods to do do some yeah. live stuff. That would be really nice. There's some great there's some great little theatres around my way. So I'm yeah. sure sure wouldn't cost too much to hire. Well, let's I'll put it out to our listeners. If anyone would be interested in such a thing and would would pay to come along. Yeah. Um, or if you do work for any sort of venue mm. on the south coast or somewhere else you know and uh, you think that's something that you know might do well then get in contact with us um blankpodcast2018 at gmail.com and you know let's let's try and get a it'll be hopefully <coughs> obviously a lot of it depends on <laughs> lockdown rules mm. and stuff but hopefully 2022 is the year that we are able to get back together again so it'd be nice to sort of celebrate that with our lovely listeners um in a sort of live setting so yeah, yeah let's make it happen yeah let's manifest that yeah, love that. Love it. And, mate, this is the last pod of the of the year. So I guess this is a chance to say Merry Christmas. You know, I hope you and the fam have a nice have a nice Christmas. And the same to all our listeners as well. Or, and I should say, or whatever you celebrate, because I know a lot of people don't celebrate mm. Christmas. But if it, if it is a chance to just see your family or whatever, then, you know, I hope you have a great time. Or not. Or if you're someone that even doesn't get to see your family, we are thinking of you. Mm. We hope you have a great time. Just uh, try and relax. Have some time off have some time to yourself you know we are thinking of all of our blank family well yeah i was and, gonna say yeah. that, that there's a big give us a huge shout out to the all the key workers who will be working over the christmas yes, period who, who might not get to see their families absolutely. on christmas day huge yeah. shout out to all those people whether you're working in um in hospitals or you're a police mm. officer or you're in the service industry whatever it might be Do- dr h i see dr. H, probably yeah, working yeah. Through. um yeah i hope that you do get some time with your families and you get yeah. a bit of rest and respite over the Christmas period. And um, yeah, huge shout out to those people that do give up their time for others. Absolutely. Um, and we'll see you again the other side of the new year in 2022. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah. We've got loads of great things planned, loads of great guests planned. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to crack on. Probably should book some guests. 
Yeah, we'll work on it. We'll work yeah. on it. We've already got one episode lined up that we've done every yeah, week, so we're not going to kick up. There's at least one episode going out next year. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll get some guests and stuff. But I guess it's a chance for us just to say a big thank you to everyone that supported us this year. Our lovely patrons. You know, we love our patrons massively, so thank you so much to them for their support. Um, and all our listeners, the people that tweet us, the people that just listen and don't engage, we love you as well. We don't. We love all our listeners, no matter who you are, what your routine is, whether you listen to us on the walk, walking the dog, in the car, you know, wherever you do. Thank you so much for letting us be part of your lives um, because we really do appreciate it and we couldn't really sort of do any of this without it. I guess a big shout out to Audio Boom, our hosts as well, yeah. um, who have been brilliant to us. So thank you to Mike and everyone there as well. Of course, like we've and won American an Oscar Christmas or something. <laughs> I just, I think, it, I, I just want to thank my the... wife and children and um, yeah. the cat who's been a constant comfort. I want to thank the in my house yeah. right now. You know, everyone that's been part yeah. of my life. No, I think it's just uh, there's something about end of year. I think maybe it's the kind fest thing as well. Mm. That, um, they're just. I think it's important to sort of offer up gratitude, you know, when you can really. And w- we are constantly thankful, aren't we, for everyone that sort of helps us do this podcast. Very so, much, and and that will never ch- that will never change. No, no, no. I mean, it takes a lot of things to come into place to 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 make each show so yeah very grateful for everything that everyone that helps and everyone who's listening and, and yeah. all you know it's a, it's a community we've, we're building here it's not a, yeah. yeah yeah and all our guests this year we've had some fantastic guests and you know thanks to all of them that take time out to to be on the pod mm. well, and we a preemptive thank you. you no and a preemptive thank you to all next year's guests as yes well. yes uh, all one of them <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a barren year no, no. it's gonna be a great year and we're gonna do a live pod i'm well, only so joshing i've be... got lots lined up you have got yeah. lots lined up and some pretty some pretty good ones as well mm. uh right that's it giles yeah we've waffled on for six minutes <laughs> that's what we do a last part of the year i think we yeah, can do that everyone's turned off by now so it's all right <laughs> um apart from the hardcore people if you're still mm. listening now you're proper hardcore yeah and uh we love you well mate merry christmas all the best for 2022 and uh see you next year goodbye Thank you.